I'm Yves Bolognini. I come from Lausanne. I'm the director of the Bolo Museum. And you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. It's the Scene World Podcast. My name is AJ. That is Jörg over there. How are you doing? Hello. Today? I'm very happy to be here today. I think we should just do the entire intro like this. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure people will listen to that. In this. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, in a minute, we're talking with Leland Heller, who is the the development administrative assistant for the Maid uh, Museum of of Yes, the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, which uh, was located in California and now is kind of floating. Uh, but we're going to learn all about that in a minute. Before that, we have a little tiny little bit of news, not very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I will let you start, my man. Yeah. Uh, December 8th, the um, Terrican flashback retail version for the PS4 and Switch will be out. Cool. And you can pre-order it now at Amazon, for example. But but I got myself the limited edition. We mentioned it two podcasts ago in our mm -hmm. news section. Mm -hmm. And it's up again for the fourth time. That's okay. making me thinking how much limited it is <laughs> for real. You know? Yeah. Because I'm I'm constantly seeing like pre-order now, a limited edition on Facebook. <laughs> and in between they took it down from the homepage and they put it back up. Which makes me wonder, did it, didn't it sell well? Or, or they made uh, more? Or they made more. Okay. Yeah. And the other news is that the Formos and Only Museum has a limited edition t-shirt mm -hmm. at Spreadshirt. And, cool. Um, cool, cool. It can be bought until uh, November 25th hmm. and it's supposed to rescue the museum okay cool. in case this pandemic takes a bit longer nice we'll put links to all that down there so you can see it. and maybe yep I think are you doing the editing for this you're doing the editing for this one right no yes Who's I have no it? idea okay it's up to us okay then yes wait what when, I don't know. When are we, oh, okay, okay. I'll, we'll figure that out. Um, okay, I've got a small bit of news. Um, is that is that what you got? That's, that's all I got. Okay, I have one. Um, um, Retro Games Limited, who are the people that made the C64 and the VIC-20 and all that stuff there. They oh. have announced... Um, the American Maxi. No, no, they have not announced American Maxi. That would be nice if they did, but no, they. Well, have... actually, actually, I read online that they are now producing it. Oh, okay. The American version of the C sixty four Maxi. Okay. Well, they have announced the um the the, the C sixty four Winter Game Development Competition. <clears throat> they have announced the win the the C sixty four Winter Game Development Competition twenty twenty. That too. That too. Yes. So they are. Um, so the first place. Uh, so so it's a it's a game development competition. They're looking for the best game for the C sixty four and or the Vic twenty. First place uh, will uh, the award is a the C sixty four with the joystick. Second place 
I guess the mini and the joystick. And um, I guess um, third place gets nothing. Um, games can be wow. submitted for through email or using stuff like Google Drive or, or other file sharing websites. And it runs now until uh, the deadline for it is December 11th, 2020. So um, if in your, you've got a game that you're working on, maybe uh, finish that up quick and get it submitted. We'll put a link nice. to where you can check out information about that right down there and nice, nice. do all that jazz. Okay. Yes. And that's, that's all it. the news I have. That's all the news he has. So let's go to them and talk about the maid. So we're sitting here today with Leland Heller. Uh, they are the development director and, uh, well, the development director for the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, the maid. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for joining. Mm -hmm. Now we've actually we've we've touched on the maid a couple of times because we've had we've had Steve Sullivan and Randy Farmer who do the Neo Habitat project, which is sponsored by the maid. Um, right. But but to date, we have not actually ventured into the the maid itself, the actual museum, and that is where you come in. So. Again, welcome. I, that's my, my <laughs> train you. of thought ends there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, originally we we discussed about it, and let's when we said like, okay, let's wait till they found a new place to mm -hmm. be, and then then bad. I unfortunately saw the bad news retweeted yeah. by Randy Farmer. Uh, so maybe you want to tell us a bit about what the situation is yeah. currently. Yeah, yeah, it's a little messy. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, we always knew that we were going to have to move sometime in the near future. Um, our lease was going to be up next May, so that was always on our mind. Uh, but then there was a pandemic, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. um, and we shut down back in March. Um, and that has been really difficult for us because we make... 80% of our money just through admission to the museum, just through people walking in the door. Mm -hmm. And so without people being able to walk through the door, um, it's been really tough for us. And our landlord was acting as landlords often do and was very unwilling to work with us. And so we basically found out in August that we would have to be out within a month or two. Yeah. Wow. So then it was just a really, really quick scramble to find somewhere to put our stuff because mm -hmm. we have a lot of it. We have um, over 12,000 games. We have 40 different uh, systems and just so much stuff. And so we luckily were able to find a storage space still in Oakland, California, where our museum was located, um, actually basically within walking distance. And about... A week ago, two weeks ago, we moved our entire collection into storage. And we're planning on having to be there for about two years. Um, that's the maximum amount of time we can really be in storage. Uh, and so we're going to be using that time to hopefully raise money in order to open up a new location and have a new space. Uh, and the reason that we're doing it this way rather than really rushing into a new space is because we want we don't want a haphazard, not very good video game museum. We want to use the time to plan and to raise enough money to make like the video game museum of our dreams. Yeah. So now so the, the move actually so so 
this was something that that while it happened kind of abruptly, you sort of saw coming. Right. Yeah. We we knew we were gonna have to move eventually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because because when I saw you know I'm on the Slack channel for it and and somebody posted you know we just we just lost the the building we got to be out in a month and and it was like oh my god you know that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We. You know, we thought that by May we'd be able to renegotiate our lease or maybe, like, find a new space. And then all of a sudden it was, no, you have to be out now. The building's getting sold, basically. Um, You know, they were very unwilling to work with us. And so um, it ended up being much more last minute than we thought Mm. it would be. Right. Wow. Uh, But that surprises me because, I mean, you are a museum. You would think that the... uh that the landlord or something has an empathy about what you are doing landlords there, are landlords uh, man it's it's, right. it's money and that's about all it is and especially in the united states in in the us here mm. nobody there's there's no protection for tenants it's it's right. ridiculous. Okay. yeah okay uh, for for one here in germany you have protection for 3 months but the problem is of course that you have to pay it afterwards so yeah. you still have the problem that you don't have the money when you have to pay it again right. Right. but still i mean i mean i spoke to other people with museums in other countries and their landlord was like yeah you can you know you can you can skip a rent or two that's totally not a problem so um I see in America it's more radical, it seems. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and, you know, at first it was kind of all right, but, you know, the landlord would eventually want us to, like you said, like pay all the money back and, like, mm. we just don't have that money. If, like, if we're not paying it this month, we wouldn't be able to pay it next month, you know? Mm-hmm. So, luckily, um, our new storage space is really great and um, we got a really good deal on. Um, so, we're not worried about being able to pay rent there, um, especially with all the um, support we've gotten lately, which I'm sure I'll get into. But, um, so, it's it's a better situation for us now because we're not having to worry about being kicked out, um, but it was very, very sudden. Mm. Mm. And normally when we have our guests, we ask how, how they got into this bit, uh, the situation they are right now. So I would, ask, I would ask you too, how did you actually get involved with the maid in the first place? Yeah, so um, I was uh, back in, I think, December, um, maybe January. Um, I was... Um, still in school, still in college. Um, and I was just kind of looking through job boards. Um, and my undergrad degree is in um, art history and museum studies. So I'm coming from this at this from a museum background and not from a video game background, which I think is probably different than everyone I work with at The Maid and probably everyone you have on the podcast. Um, so I was just looking for for jobs to get out of college and um I happened upon a just a posting for the maid and I had never heard of them but I was like okay I feel like I can do this I like video games um I don't I'm not very good at video games but I do really like them and so I um applied and over kind of a long process I got this job and I started in February which was literally right before everything shut down mm. um which is a really terrible time to start a job at a yes. museum <laughs> yes it is <laughs> but, so yeah but obviously they are fine with you otherwise you would have fear to 
be kicked off or something. Right, I mean, that yeah. would be my first thought, you know. <laughs> oh, there's a pandemic and I'm the new guy here or yes. new girl or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, now, 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 will they keep me or not? And, I mean, now you're even on podcasts and stuff and show your face and ki you are kind of the PR person now. Yeah, I... Well, I was definitely really scared, um, and especially because I'm currently the only paid employee of The Maid. It's just me getting paid. So uh, because the organization has always worked in this kind of like reverse structure of usually museums, the person at the top, the executive director, makes a ridiculous amount of money, and then they make people do all the actual hard work for... Um, nothing uh, yeah. and our museum has always had that reverse structure so our founder and executive director and my boss alex handy um he doesn't make any money he's never made a you know a dime from the maid he chose to do that that way on purpose it's always been the people like at the front desk and the people cleaning and like me who may, who is actually paid not the people at the top um and i think that's a really lovely way to run an organization and kind of like speaks to the ways in which this organization is really a labor of love and always has been um and i'm i'm very grateful to still have my job but it was never like i don't think it ever crossed their mind to let me go um which is really really sweet um And I really appreciate. Uh, I've just been kind of slowly taking on more jobs <laughs> as as I've been here. So I started off just doing a few specific things. And now I end up doing a lot more PR stuff, a lot more social media. Um, and, you know, that was also like Alex's wish is that he's always the person who is the, the face of the organization. And uh, with me coming in, he was like, I want it to not just be me. I want other people to be able to speak up about the organization, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at least what what most people don't see is the work behind such a thing, and right. there there's always more than one person that makes this thing completely and working at least. And, right. and interestingly, at the beginning, you made the point that you're actually planning to stocking the collection for two years. So even if you find a new place to rent earlier, you wouldn't move in instantly. Uh, it depends. If we were to be able to find the perfect place for very cheap tomorrow, we would probably, we might move in. We might start moving in. I think until we are in a position where, with the pandemic, where the, where the kind of the government and the CDC is saying that it's safe for our museum to reopen, then we'll probably would look into going ahead right now um, here in um, in our area. Museums are allowed to reopen, but they have so many restrictions that it just wouldn't work for a museum because it's a very high-touch museum. You know, all of our exhibits are interactive. You can walk in and you can play any game that's ever been created, basically. Mm -hmm. And obviously that involves touching things. And touching things during a pandemic is not a good idea. So it's a lot harder than like um, an art museum, a traditional art museum opening. Um, we would just not, you know, to us, there's no point if you can't play the games. And it's not safe to play the games right now. Right, right. Well, I mean, I mean, we interviewed before a couple of years ago the foremost and only museum here in Germany, and they actually chose the solution of a combined mask and clothes. 
mm. requirements because they also are interactive and uh, rather where, where than not this? opening. Where was this? Clothes. Clothes no, no, and where, masks. No, where? where? For, for Musmut only. Oh, 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 oh okay. Yeah, yeah. In, in Seelingstadt near Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they have the same problem because they are an arcade and pinball museum and you need, you need to touch the, the devices yeah, yeah, to yeah. play them. And they said like, okay, we will require clothes as a, mm-hmm. as a workaround. But, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, of course, it's not a solution for, for every museum, perhaps. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's we just didn't feel like safe about it at this point. And it, right now it's obviously moot because we're in storage. But uh, we are kind of like open to different solutions and some sort of in between. Um, it's something that we really don't know right now because, you know, all of our energy has and still is just you know, helping survive and making sure our collection is safe, um, like in our storage area and that we're really able to preserve everything and it's not going to, you know, get damaged while it's in storage. So that's kind of been our first priority. And then we're going to think about what we're going to do going forward with our physical things. Um, can we talk a bit about the history of the museum? I would like to know when it was created and how was the connection with new habitat? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm not great at remembering what years everything was, so <laughs> definitely fact check me. Um, I know that we have had our like current, well, our, our now previous location since 2010, um, but before that, they're in a different location. I think. Like 2006 was when the museum was founded. These are things I should know. (laughs) But um, the museum kind of had a a little bit of a rocky start. And um, Alex always likes to say that like these last 10 years especially, but the entire time the museum has existed has been like an experiment in creating a video game museum. Um, Neo Habitat was, um, I do not know the year off the top of my head, but that was... um, a project that a lot of people view as being kind of like a side thing to the museum or not really involved in the rest of the museum. But I think it has a lot of like direct connections with what we do on a daily basis. So like if you, if you look up copyright law about video games, like if you look at the, the super boring technical copyright law stuff, they mention the maid and they mention it because of, our normal collection and like what we're doing and playing the games every day. And they also, that stuff matters because of Neo Habitat. And it's talking mm-hmm. about the same thing, which is access to video games yes. um, and access to video games that people can't necessarily play. So like you could come into the museum and like play any Commodore 64 game you want um, because who owns one these days? Um <laughs> So, but you could also play Habitat or Neo Habitat, I guess, like on your browser. Yeah. And like that access, being able to do both of those things is so important. And I think that like Neo Habitat is, you know, part of the fundamental uh, ideas behind the museum and part of our mission because it, it talks about that same thing is pre- video game preservation looks like a lot of different things. It could look like you know, having a a perfectly clean and pristine uh, system that you can go play a game on, or it could look like playing that game in your browser. And like both of those are are really valid and really worthwhile to us. And that's why like, 
you know, Habitat, New Habitat is a project that we care about so much and that we actually end up being known for that, like, internationally, almost sometimes more than um, for the museum itself. Like, we'll get, we'll get emails from people and be like, oh, like, yeah, you're the Habitat people. And, like, we're, you know, we're like, oh, it's weird that you know us as the Habitat people rather than the video game museum people. But, you know, both those things are really important. Well, I guess that has to do with Wendy Farmer mentioning you a lot. Well, well also, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, when we covered, when we talked uh, to Randy, you know, it had, it had, um, um, it, it had a big impact on copyright law. You know, it, right. it, 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 it set precedent for a lot of stuff and the museum is then directly responsible with that, you know? Yeah. And there's... Like, I, I view it as an absolute win. Um, and copyright law is something which we all know very always, pretty much always favors the big company and their profits. Mm -hmm. um, and the argument against us and against um, being able to do things like Neohabitat or being able to, um, you know, run our like modded console so you could play any game. The argument against that is like, oh, well, that that'll take away profits from the big um, <laughs> video game companies, yeah. which is absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like nobody is is not, you know, spending money on a, you know, WoW subscription or something like that because they're playing Neo Habitat. Like that's those are not equal to each other. And so yeah. it's, it seems very silly um, but that's the way the, the copyright law generally works. And so, you know, it's the fact that we're able to do this and be able to say, like, no, there is a purpose and this is you, you need to look at more than just profits, um, you know, is is a really positive thing, I think, for copyright law outside of, of just small examples like Neohabitat, like The Maid. Well, I mean, I mean. Over those uh, 20 years, we are doing the Sinwell thing right now. We have also figured it depends on the company, you know. I mean, we tried many times to talk to Nintendo about their NES God. Classical Mini, SNX Classical Mini, and I also got the answer like, no, we will never talk about the past or retro, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and, and then when Sonic Mania was released, I made inquiry to Sega, and then we got Fabio Fabian Mario Dola, who is called... Mr. Sega, because he is working for Sega for so long, and they were, of course, they were saying like, "Of course, we will talk to you and right. talk about Sonic Mania from the retro perspective, how it all began, and why we decided to support a, a, a fan project and make the fan project a commercial project and release that as a new official part of Sonic, while when somebody." converted Super Mario Bros. to the 64, Nintendo was stopping him. So you can see... Well, I, I, hear, I heard that was overblown. I heard that that was kind of... Did, didn't actually happen. I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, anyway, um, this typical example, Sega and Nintendo, you can see the right. totally different approach on from this viewpoint of history. You know? Right. People make money from it. But we will not talk about the past. Yeah, yeah. And we we have, like, partnered with Sega um, before. Like, they've always had a close relationship with us. Um, like, Ubisoft as well has always, like, really respected what we're doing um, and supported us. But, like, yeah, we could also never get someone, like, 
you know, a partnership with Nintendo or like get Nintendo to, you know, give us money. Like that's, um, and that, that would help a lot, you know, like a lot of, of big museums, like they are there because of big donors and corporate sponsorships and things, but it's really hard to get big video game companies to care about preserving their own history, which is mind boggling to me as like a historian in general um, and someone who obviously sees up close how important this is. It's really, really wild to me that these, these game companies seem to not view that as something worth preserving. Hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. So you, so you kind of made of the, uh, the same the same experience we had from a different perspective. And for you as a museum, it's even more important to have this cooperation in a way. I mean, for us, if they don't talk to us, well, not so much is lost, maybe some stories. But for you, you are preserving the software, the hardware, the machines, and that's right. the thing. And I mean, if you look at arcades nowadays in South America or something, they are mostly main machines. Running mm -hmm. on a PC. Yeah. There's not really the real hardware anymore. Yeah. And that's something which I think as time goes on, it's going to be even, you know, I think it's going to happen much more quickly. This inability to run classic games on their hardware. Um, even now, like, uh, even things like getting the correct cords to hook things up is getting harder and harder. Like we currently have one, I think only one like cord for, for the Dreamcast. Like we only have one, even though we have probably like eight Dreamcasts that work, we can only hook one of them up to like to a TV. And like we could get more, but like it's getting harder and harder. And we do have like, 30 CRTs, but CRTs are a perfect example that just five or 10 years ago, people were chucking them out and they were ending up in landfills and they were getting stripped for parts and everything. Um, and now they're getting harder to find. And so I, in probably five or 10 years, it's going to be really hard just to get a CRT. Um, yeah. But I have to say, there is where the pandemic played nice to me because <laughs> in August, my CRT TV broke. And the first, the first company I phoned to in the yellow pages, they were actually taking my order because, <laughs> you know, those small repair stores, right. small selling stores, they are happy for any order right now you give to them, right. even if it's, if it's for an old CRT TV, mm -hmm. you know, they will take any, any, any task right now. So though this, this is like the positive side of the negative pandemic that now it was for me pretty easy to find uh, to find a store that's like okay is this is really this machine with those old tubes and I'm like yeah that's why it's called CRT you know because <laughs> the old ray tube that's why you know of course the woman on the front desk he was laughing at me on the phone he, he couldn't he, she couldn't she couldn't believe it that that I wanted a, a 25 years old um, TV repaired what for? And I said, like, light guns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay. That's that's a point. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's something really tactile and um, about playing a game on a, on a CRT versus, you know, playing it emulated on, um, 
you know, on anything else is like that, that kind of like click and that buzz when it first comes on and like that sort of sound and that, that feeling is, is, is so unique. And that's, you know, nostalgia and everything, but it's something that like feels warm in a way that you, that you don't get that experience with an emulated game. But I also learned that people who are, <clears throat> I don't know, 25 years younger than me, 20 something, uh, I mean, I mean, like uh, 15 years younger than me, like in their early 20s, they really, they really don't care so much about history and how this all started and all technology. And um, so maybe, maybe when HA and I, when we are not around anymore, nobody will care about it's, those CRTs. Me, uh, when we're not around anymore, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'm 22. So, uh, and, you know, I, I pretty clearly care about this stuff. So mm -hmm. I think it's not all young people. But um, I think that you're going to find nerds who, who care about about old video games and about preservation um, all the time. And also something that is so great about you know, nerds getting older is that some of them have kids and pass this on to their to their kids. And something that we see in the museum all the time when the museum was open is you'd you'd have um, a parent bringing in their kid to the museum. And the first thing that they do is they want to show their child like the games that they played when they were a little kid. And so it's like, oh, come see my favorite game from when I was a kid. And like, that's pretty much the first thing that happens or even when um even when a parent is just like bringing their kids in and they're not really interested in the museum they'll kind of wander over and they'll gravitate to the console that they had when they were a kid or the arcade game they played when they were a kid and they'll like call their kids over and be like hey look at this let me show you this thing from my childhood you know even people who don't have that interest in the preservation and everything can still kind of use that to connect across generations. And that's something that's so beautiful and I think so unique about a video game museum is that ability to, you know, have that firsthand experience with the game. Um, and, you know, something is going to be much more interesting if it's introduced with love. So that's something that happens all the time at the museum and gives me a lot of hope for mm -hmm. for the future and and for hopefully the future of video game preservation. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, nice to hear your perspective. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. Normally we are the younger guys in those interviews. <laughs> I, I do feel like um, anytime I'm like, in this kind of world or talking to the people that made, I do feel like a child. I feel very young. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So even so, you, you started this interview saying like, I'm not really a tech person and not mm -hmm. really into video games. You kind of crew to the topic. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, anytime I, I talk to someone at the maid, I feel like I know nothing about video games because they're all so, so knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's something that amazes me every day is just like the wealth of knowledge that's part of like our team and our community. Um, and I feel like I don't know anything about that, but I've learned so much about video games just from having been at the museum for mm, like eight or nine months now. Um, I have 
learned so much about about video games and about um, classic games and game preservation and like all this stuff that was not you know that was before I was born or like not even really part of my childhood because like I didn't grow up playing video games um, so oh, it's interesting what you didn't you didn't you didn't have any. no um the oh. first the first console that my family owned was the Wii like I that wow. Wow. And that was like my friends, my friends had GameCubes. Like that was my generation. My mm-hmm. friends all had GameCubes and I would like go to their house and like play Animal Crossing or like Wind Waker with them. And I loved that. But we never had anything. And like my friends had like DSs. Um, and so I'm kind of like that generation. Um, but yeah, but we like bought a Wii just like every other family in America. And that was like the first console I owned. We we played like you know, like PC games, like I played The Sims 2 a lot growing up, like things like that, but never, I was never really into video games as a kid. Um, I never really had the opportunity to play them that much. Um, And so that's definitely something that I've gotten into much more as an adult. And I think as a result, like I'm really bad at video games. Like I'm terrible. Like I think I just never developed the hand-eye coordination to be good or like, to like work a controller. I think that's definitely a skill, which is like learning a language. You're like much better at it as, as a kid than you are as an adult. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. I'm also very bad at, at video games. Yes, the only the only games I really can do is like racing games, but I have to play the course like 20 times until I know every curve, every every obstacle and stuff. But I'm really very terrible so when so when i when i play at, at at events against people some people ask me like did you let me win i'm like no i'm really that bad i'm really that bad you know conversely so, i'm really good at video games and have beaten his ass several times and yet <laughs> and, and yet i never really i wasn't a, a big gamer growing up i was more of a you know i i programmed stuff and, and played with that mm-hmm. end of it but i never actually played yeah, yeah. Yeah. So maybe I don't have an excuse. I'm just bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean. You said you you played The Sims a lot. Yeah. I started mm-hmm. with SimCity. You know. Yeah. That's how I... old I am. Yeah, I loved like, I mean, I still love sort of like simulation games like that, because they did not rely on that dexterity and that hand-eye coordination. They just relied on thinking. And I still prefer games like that. And I'm still really terrible at like, any game in which I have to move around 3D space with like a controller, mm-hmm. it's still I'm really terrible at did you, those. Did you do- but, yeah. torment your Sims like 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 I did? No, I was. Oh. I'm the opposite type. There's like two types of Sims players, and I just let them have beautiful lives in beautiful okay. houses and like live out their dreams and like cater to their every wish. That was always me. I, I'd build uh, a room around them with just like a refrigerator so they could eat and no other amenities and just leave them in there and watch them get angrier and angrier. And then and then die. No, they never died. No, no, no. I, I'd make sure that they couldn't die. Oh God, that's even worse. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. What what many people don't know is, um, you know, uh, little computer people was actually the oh, yeah. grandfather of the of the Sims, and and um, actually when when um, little computer people was released in '85 at Activision, actually you can let the character go, uh, die, and you would have to send the diskette back to Activision really? so they can restore wow. the character wow. but but <laughs> ten, but around 12 years ago they they released um, a toolkit where you can generate your own character 
because of course nowadays Activision doesn't take your disc anymore. So if you kill your little computer what? people person, you can still play the game. Twelve, 12 years ago they did this? I think 12 years ago. Activision years released ago? a thing so that people could re to no, fix no, no, it. No, it was fan-made. Oh, was okay. Fan I was going to say. I was going to say. No, it was be... fan-made. It was fan-made. Yeah, I was going to give props to Activision for no, sticking no, by. No, no, Yeah, no. That... But, but in, in 2007, they released their last C64 game, the Zork, which was a role-playing game they found in their archives, and they mm. released it for free. So... Props to Activision for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 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 to not let it, do not let it rot in the dust. Does Activision still exist? A um, Activision, sure. Oh, they are okay. one of the biggest publishers. Activision Blizzard. That's oh, okay. Both. Yeah. That's like the biggest mm. thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You are right. In the history of Activision, they were bankrupt almost a couple of times. Yeah, it, it, there's always you know you hear about the, the you know the video game companies and and it's it's they've been uh, absorbed by this and that and now it's just all electronic right. arts or something and uh, no no and no. That's one of the reasons it can be really hard mm -hmm. to um, kind of track down um, things to archive or like parts of video game history is because of all of those bankruptcies and mergers and acquisitions. Uh, it can be really, really hard to figure out even, like, who owns copyright for something uh -huh. or, uh, you know, like, who you should, you know, look for for this or who you should credit or, like, who even has these things in their storage rooms. Like, that's <laughs> – it can be incredibly difficult to track down. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, so much of, of what we see in – video game museums is not the like in progress things um and not like uh you know in in a lot of like art museums you can go and you can see paintings that were half finished and you can see like what an artist studio would have looked like mm -hmm. and um like there's a bunch of michelangelo sculptures that were like half finished that are displayed now and you don't get that for video games you right. don't get to see the iterations um and actually like the, the reason our museum exists um, was that our founder, Alex, he was at a flea market and he found a bundle of um, Atari cartridges, I think the 2600, for this game, um, Cabbage Patch Kids Adventures in the Park. And um, he, he bought it and he realized that each cartridge went like test iteration of the game in development. And this is not something you ever find for video games. Yeah. And he had the kind of Indiana Jones, this belongs in a museum moment. Mm -hmm. And he made that museum. And that is the maid. And um, so, and that's something like that, that we, we don't see. We don't get to see these like popular games in progress mm -hmm. and like pull back the curtain. And that comes down to the fact that one, companies don't care. And two, companies don't exist. You know, it's really really hard to even if you do have a company that still exists like a nintendo or um any of the other big companies like they're not going to tell you like pull back the curtain for you they're going to keep all of that very locked down they're not going to want to talk about the past um and that's really sad mm. so what do you think the reason is that some companies don't and others do like like uh, sega as a positive example what do you think is the reason? I don't know. I think it probably comes down to like, you know, company philosophies and uh, 
you know, how they're viewing their past. And it could be everything from like one executive who cares about history and about preservation, or it can be the company ethos. I think it's a blend of things. And I think a company like Nintendo, um, not to slander their name, obviously, but uh, a company like Nintendo, if their viewpoint is we don't care about the past, we keep moving forward. If like that's their stance they want to take, that's fine if that works for them, but they're going to apply that to everything. Yeah. You know, that's, they're they're going to if they view their history that way then it doesn't matter if it's you asking about coming on the podcast or it's us asking about working with the museum they're always going to take that stance mm-hmm. um but at the same time they do like work with museums they do sponsor museums but less about that like history past sort of stuff um like the museum of pop culture in uh seattle and there's correlation there because Seattle uh, has this where Nintendo is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they Nintendo does work with that museum quite a bit. And they have like video game exhibits at that museum. But that's much more focused on current things rather than the past. Right. So like the... Um, the exhibition that is that is on at the Museum of Pop Culture that Nintendo sponsors is one that that highlights actually indie games, um, and but they're they're current indie games, and that's a lovely that's a lovely museum, that's a lovely exhibition. Like I really recommend people check out that museum because they're really awesome. Uh, but it's much more about current things that that video game museum that video game companies are interested in working with museums about rather than the past. And like we we did, uh, you know, when we have partnered with video game companies, with Sega or with um, other ones, it has been much more focused on what they're currently doing rather than a desire to preserve the past. I think they see that as more of our job because we care about it oftentimes more than they do, which a little sad to me. Well, or, or to name another one is Konami. They actually gifted one of their arcade machines to the um, um, Flipper and Arcade Museum for Muslim only. So that was a nice surprise. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we have this, we have this little arcade machine cool. in our building hanging around, and we not do, we are not using it for anything. You want to have it? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Well, it probably has to do to do with um, com- company policy and stuff, you know. But mm-hmm. but I always uh, but I, I guess there is a saying if you can't if you can't appreciate your past you can't appreciate the future. Right. Um, I don't know if I've got this saying this, yes, this yes. saying correct. Um, so I mean I, I mean it will be always good to know like if there is another topic in the future you can always go back and say like hey could we talk to you again? Um, but that means also. If something from from those companies is lost, or, or so, then you are totally um, depending on yourself to find a solution right. for a broken part or yeah. a missing, um, don't know, a missing data ship or whatever. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, and that's something that we're lucky to have such a great community of, of nerds that's part of the maid um, of we end up like somebody will see like a broken something or other in our storage room and be like, Hey, can I, can I take that home and like play with it? 
and like try to try to get it working and it's like sure and we'll come back a few months later and be like hey i fixed this thing we're like oh right yeah thanks awesome um and that kind of relationship we have um and that i refer to as kind of our larger community is one of the reasons a museum can exist like when we found out that we were having to move um one of the things that we were most worried about was our arcade cabinets because um they're big Mm -hmm. uh and they're they're hard to move yeah, and so tell me about it. When, 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 when yeah. I when when I when mine was taken away away for repair, people thought I'm moving out. Yeah, so it's it's really difficult, and so we we literally were like, we don't know what we're gonna do. We don't know how we're gonna move these, and we made like two or three phone calls to people we knew that were like you know arcade collectors and we straight up just said hey can you like be a foster parent like to this machine for like two years and they're like yeah sure like i have space just like throw it with the other ones like i'll come pick it up and just like straight out of the goodness of their heart like just willing to keep these machines just for a couple years for nothing um and that I think it's it's our community, the community we've created, but it's also just people who are into, you know, old games in general, I think have that kind of spirit of like um, wanting to keep these things around and make sure that they're okay. Um, and so that's something that's been really wonderful is, I mean, the community in general has just had like such a great response and been so supportive when they found out about us shutting down. But um, the fact that we have people to rely on that when something breaks and, you know, it's not like we can call up Atari and say, hey, this, uh, you know, (laughs) 30 year old uh, console broke, Uh, you know, we have one of our guys who can come and fix it. So that that makes the whole process of the museum much, much easier to run. Yeah, pivoting Um, on that, that's a good segue, actually, because you just mentioned the support that that you've gotten since the, you know, you've been talking about moving out of the museum. What kind of support has come through from people? Yeah, so... um, we had that um, amazing video, the documentary made by um, Noclip, um, which uh, it's been totally crazy here since um, that video was um, published, just like total outpouring of support. We'll put a link um, to that somewhere down there so people can see. Yeah, so um, we had, I think, um, at this point, over $10,000 in um, PayPal donations um, come to us out of nowhere. Um, and we have, um, I think, almost like uh, almost 100 new patrons on our Patreon. Um, that's been really crazy. Um, and, you know, we don't, that's people purely donating because they care. Like our mm-hmm. Patreon, because of the nature of the museum, doesn't really have that much to like offer to people although um just plugging the patreon real quick um we are we're starting a podcast um and uh that is going to be about game preservation um and about the maid um and so that will be just to our patrons on our patreon um and like kind of behind the scenes thing that's how our patreon is working but you know, the people who signed up were not promised any of that. They just did right, it out right. of the goodness of their heart. So it's it's been a lot of that. A lot of people talking about us on social media, like news articles about us. That's been really good. Um, and a lot of people who um, work at game companies who have reached out and emailed and said, like, hey, um, I'm going to, 
you know, tell my boss about you guys and I'm going to talk about you guys to our like charitable giving department and that sort of stuff. And that really, really goes a long way for us because, you know, we've always been the sort of like word of mouth and um, community support. And it's been really nice to welcome so, so many people now yeah, into yeah. our community um, and get that kind of recognition. It, it feels really good. Anyway, um, there's one thing that I wonder why this never happened in this pandemic is why isn't there why isn't there like a tour all uh, for for the main museum? Like a virtual in, tour. A virtual tour, yes. Kind of for like what we did with, um, well, who was that that we did that with? Um, the uh, digital retro park yes, in Offenbach, yes, Germany, yes. yeah. And and why don't you do? Why don't you well, connect to each other? Right and and saying like, well, I mean, not 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 for the mate. I mean, general. Oh, yeah, the yeah. idea would be like next week we have the Yandex Museum in Moscow, Russia. The other one we have we have the uh, museum in Switzerland. The next week we have a museum in Germany. That would be a nice idea, you know, to have like. A virtual tour throughout the computer and video game history from the standpoint of different countries, from different museums. But somehow this idea just came to my mind now. Yeah, yeah and you gave it away. Yeah. Although, <laughs> What's wrong I mean, with you, man? There are a lot. There's a lot of video game museums. Um, and we don't really talk to each other that much. Um, mm. We do... Um, uh, the Well... One thing I found out about about working um, at this museum is that the Germans really care about mm -hmm. video games and mm -hmm. video game preservation. That's something that I've definitely learned that was unexpected. Um, and so, like, the um, museums in Germany, we, we have more of a relationship with. But um, there's, there's a lot of more video game museums than people think. Um, and we I would love to have more of a relationship with the other ones out there. But... Um, you know, I think all museums are struggling right now and, yeah. and going through it. Um, so that's something that I'd love in the future is to kind of have more, because I think a lot of museums you view others a little bit of like competition because, you know, there's only so many, you know, things that you can have in your collection or there's only so much demand, but The museums are all pretty spread out, um, and so I think that um, you know I would I would love to have a stronger relationship with other video game museums out there because they're all kind of having their different spin on it. Like yeah. our whole thing from the beginning was that it should all be playable. Mm -hmm. That's like our guiding principle. That you know every design choice that we do is like this is a museum to play the games. And it's a museum, it's on an arcade. And like that, that's a big difference too that we have to clarify for people a lot that like there is an educational purpose to this yeah, and right. it's not just playing the games for fun, it's playing the games to appreciate them. So like those are our two, but some video game museums, you know, everything's behind glass and it's much more a traditional museum experience of reading and learning um, and that sort of a thing. And that, um, And that works great for those museums. Uh, it's just kind of a different approach. But a, a video game is not like a painting. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's something like the, the average amount of time that somebody looks at a painting in an art museum is about three seconds. Mm -hmm. And I'm an art nerd, and so I think that's not enough time. But you can kind of get the gist of a painting in three seconds, apparently. But you can't with a video game. It's a time-based 
medium, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. very, it's not purely visual and we don't really think of it as a time-based medium like a movie is because you don't have to right. like sit there for an hour, but you know, it's I, I think this, this varies. Sorry. It's interactive storytelling. Right. Exactly. And the whole interactive part and the, the time commitment that you give to a video game is like something which makes it a very unique medium of art um, compared to other things that are displayed in a museum is like you have to go in uh, knowing that you know you're not going to get the same experience out of any video game that you could um, try and like a video game like Animal Crossing um, is a really good example of a very time-based video game because it is real time and part of the joy in it is playing it every day. And you could go to the maid when it was open. You could go to the maid and you could play Animal Crossing for, you know, the GameCube. You could even play the original, like, Japanese version on the N64, and it's awesome. But you don't really get much out of it because you don't have that time. And, like, you... I mean, I guess if you wanted to come into the museum and sit and, like, play and come in every single day and play Animal Crossing every single day, you could... But the experience of going to museum is if a video game museum is just inherently different than going to an art museum or even like a science museum because of the nature of the thing that's exhibited. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of games as more of kind of reverting back to the original way in which we told stories. You know, initially it was it was uh, it was a, you know, vocal tradition you know, or an oral tradition, you know, where you're 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 telling stories and people are interacting with the storyteller usually. Then somewhere along the line, the printing press came along and it made it just a static thing. You read it and you don't interact and Mm -hmm. that's it. And that's where we've been kind of stuck for the last several hundred years, you know, is like this or even longer than that, really it's, it's, this is the story. There's no interaction or you're watching a movie and there's no interaction or you're watching TV or listening to a radio play or something like that. And with games, you're getting back into that interactive bit where you're able to, you know, bug the storyteller and, and change maybe the outcome of the story and, 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 and whatnot, you know, it's, it, or, or, you know, find a different way to get there. And, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so as you mentioned, you are collecting donations and trying to find a yes. new spot after your uh, two, two years of stocking. What, what kind of location are you looking into? I mean, what would be the perfect location it depends who you ask. Um, I've got a garage over there. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anyone listening just has a very large commercial space they happen to own and don't want, we'll take it. But um, I mean, the for me, the ideal looks like I think very different than the ideal for other people. I mean, for our old museum was like one kind of main space where you could just walk around it and play every single you know, console every made in order if you wanted to. Um, and so I know that there's some people that want that kind of structure that want like a big room with all the consoles and like, that's it. Um, there's an idea that some of us have about structuring it off into different rooms more like you would in another museum of kind of have that experience of wandering through rooms. Mm-hmm. But then the question becomes, how do you organize those, those rooms? Um, and There's an idea I've been really liking lately that comes from um, one of our board members, Cassidy, um, and is to kind of divide things based off of 
where the console would have been in someone's house. So because eras, you know, you had, you know, ones that were in the like living room that everyone was playing together. These maybe earlier consoles that were meant to be like family entertainment devices that were in the living room. And then you move on and you kind of have them in the teenager's bedroom or in the kid's bedroom. Um, And then maybe you come back to the living room where you have like, and then you come back and you have the Wii, which was again meant to be a living room console. And then maybe like you're having like, Definitely, when I was growing up, I remember having, like, a computer room. Like, our guest bedroom was also known as the computer room. Um, And, you know, you had kind of that area of early computers and, like, computer games that were in their separate room. And that's one way of thinking about it spatially, of, like, almost walking through the rooms in a house. Mm -hmm. Um, So, currently, this idea might even change by the time this podcast is out, but currently that is my favorite idea of having an experience of walking through the museum, almost like walking through a house, of kind of getting into that mindset of like, um, this is what it would have been like to play this console back as a kid in the 80s or in the 90s or whatever. And um, that sort of really pure experience um, and like, you know, even decorating it to look like it's from that era. Like that to me is my current favorite. That's my current ideal. But if you asked anybody else in our organization, they'd have a completely different idea. Like I'm sure there's people who want it to look like an art museum and have white walls and like no cords visible and like all of that. So it really depends who you ask. I mean, it also depends. I mean, if if you are coming to the to the year eighty nine, and then like, okay, guys, now we are visiting the Game Boy era. Era. Now we go to the bathroom. Yeah, I love. No, that. that would be that would be the today's era. That would be the modern era. The cell the cell phone mobile game era is the bathroom. Actually, well, the the Game Boy era. What we do is have like a car interior mm. and have lights going by, like the headlights. Yes. And yes. you'd only be able to play the game when you could see with the headlights. Yes. The the streetlight. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I had this I had this newbie light that was actually oh, yeah. from America. You could put on top and it had two two bulbs in each corner and that would clear on the screen and make it bright. And I got one last year. I was like, how did I play this? On 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 uh, on the screen with the bulbs next to it, uh, twenty years ago. I mean, you could barely see a thing. But as a little <laughs> child, the clearing and the um, the clearing from the light bulbs didn't disturb me. Obviously, you know, I still yeah. could what, make out. When, I still could make out the enemies. When you said that, when you mentioned the the only being able to play when the when the lights from the cars go by, my brain just froze because I remembered like, oh my god, that's right. Like I, I had totally forgotten about that. Yeah, no, no backlight, no backlight. Yeah, there no, no, my, 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 I know there's my, no backlight, but I had forgotten about that actual experience of sitting in the car and not being able to play until like streetlights or whatever happens to light the screen. That was a totally I never, a thing. I never had this problem. I never had this problem because my mother said like, you are not destroying your your eyes. No. We are getting those newbie lights. <laughs> First thing. Hmm. So I had it like day two or something. Oh, no because more. they were like so I always had this comfort of not not having this my, this, this my, problem. My, my parents were my family was content well, to let me ruin my eyes and look which one of us is wearing glasses. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, true. But I do it since since I'm small, so it's fine. It's not because of that. Um, yeah, but hey, it's 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 true. It's it's changed a little bit um, the lifestyle having yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine imagine Game Boy was portable. Nowadays, you would think like, wow, this was portable. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that was because it was. I I remember going uh, camping with my grandparents and bringing my Game Boy along and being like, "This is amazing! I can play Mario in you know the woods." <laughs> for, for, for it is it is a, a very interesting experience playing video games outdoors. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like I'll take my Switch sometimes to the park um, and go and sit and play outside, and like I'll be playing Animal Crossing and I'll be like in the park and I'm like. What am I doing? Like, yeah, I'm right. Really, like running around outside, shaking trees. I could go shake a tree right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Feels a little right. wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Mm. So, yeah, where well, can people go to to see what's going on with the maid and to and to donate and to help out and to to coordinate and all that? Yeah, so um, our website is themaid.org. Um, and so everything is obviously all the information is on our website. Um, we also, as I mentioned, have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the maid. Um, that is our, our name on everything. Um, and we also have like our social media, like our, our Twitter is, is the most updated of our social medias. Um, and uh, that is basically it um most of our donations are taken like through um paypal is fine um again patreon if anyone like is a corporation listening or has access to a corporation that that wants to contact us about some like a bigger donation that sort of stuff they can always email us um just info at the maid.org or if anyone listening you know, wants to talk to us about anything, that's that's a great place to email us. We'd love to talk to you about, you know, preserving video games. Um, that is, I think, all the things I have to plug. <laughs> okay. Interesting that you mentioned info at the mate, because mm-hmm. the only thing I found, I found was treasure at right. the mate on so your homepage. You and other people who were emailing that address made me realize that that info email address was not on our website. So it is on our website now, um, or it should be. Um, but we just launched a new website. Um, and so we're still kind of working out the issues with our website. And, and our website looks wonderful now. It is it is really beautiful and far better than our old website. Um, but things like that, that I didn't realize that that info email was not anywhere. Nobody would have known to email there. So hopefully now that email is on the website. So people know that that's the one, the treasure one's fine too. Um, that's directed to you or something. Yeah. The, the treasure one goes to a handful of us. The info one also goes to a handful of us, but (laughs) that's kind of how small organizations work is whatever email address you email, it's probably going to be me who answers. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, or yeah, like nice. Twitter DMs, like that's it's also all me. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, nice. B- before we let you go, well, well, hang on, well, hang on. We'll, we'll put links to all of that in the podcast description so that people can click on it and whatnot. Great. Well, thanks for taking yes. the hour, the hour, yeah. and talking well, to see, us. Thank Amazing. you so much for having me. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we have... no problem. Well, it's it's for a good for a good thing. Yeah, for a good thing. yeah. I haven't I haven't gotten to go to the maid yet, and so it, we need to have it there so I can. 
Yeah, well, you have time to plan out yes. your, your trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going First, anywhere First, we need to get soon. rid of corona. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. let's see about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, Keep thank in you. touch. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>